I'm Sarah Elizabeth Smith, and this is the Theosophia Podcast, a platform for women's voices in theology. Today, I have the distinct honor and privilege to bring on Theosophia's first Jewish voice. I intended this podcast to be a pluralistic space to include the many, many ways women think, do, and are theology. And I'm so excited to start providing more interviews with women from different faith traditions. I will continue to share the many diverse voices in my own tradition, but if y'all have any ideas of folks with different backgrounds and religious affiliations and you want to hear from them, I would love to know about it. So shoot me an email at theosophiapodcast at gmail.com or feel free to DM me on Instagram. So this week features Rabbi Jill Hammer. Dr. Rabbi Jill Hammer is the co-founder of the Kohenet Hebrew Priestesses Institute, a program that trains women in embodied earth-based feminist Jewish spiritual leadership. She's also the director of spiritual education at the Academy of Jewish Religion, a pluralistic seminary for rabbis, cantors, and educators. She's the author of eight books, including Sisters at Sinai, New Tales of Biblical Women, The Jewish Book of Days, A Companion for All Seasons, the Hebrew Priestess, Ancient and New Versions of Jewish Women's Spiritual Leadership, and so much more. Let's dive in now and get to know Rabbi Jill Hammer a little more. Here we go. Rabbi Hammer, thank you again so much for, for coming on and speaking with me today. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell the world a little bit about you and what you're up to? Sure. Uh I'm Rabbi Jill Hammer. I am the co-founder of the Kohenet Hebrew Priestess Institute, which is an earth-based embodied feminist uh, Jewish program in uh, spiritual leadership uh, for women uh, and women-identified folks. And I'm also uh, the director of spiritual education at the Academy for Jewish Religion, which is a pluralistic rabbinical seminary in Yonkers, New York. Uh, I'm currently on sabbatical. Uh, writing a book, uh, but I uh, mostly I teach and serve uh, at that seminary uh, as well during the school year. Mm-hmm. I live in Manhattan and uh, enjoy it there very much. Oh, that's wonderful. You got a get a lot going on. You're like a superwoman of Jewish studies and teaching and. Feminism. I I'm so intrigued by your um, institute that you're you're doing women embodied earth based feminist Jewish spiritual leadership. Like that is so much awesome stuff in one place. <laughs> I feel really really lucky that there were other people who wanted to uh, do this with me. You know, be part of this path uh, with me. It's uh, it's an amazing community and. I am really excited by the kind of education that we're doing. That is so cool. How many women do you have uh, be a part of the program each year? Well, currently we have about 60 women enrolled in the program. Wow. And we've ordained something like 40, uh, and that number is going to go up a lot in the next couple of years. Wow. Very cool. How does it work with uh, placing rabbis once you, once you get ordained? Uh, well, I don't ordain rabbis in the Kohenet Hebrew Priestess Institute. Okay, okay. Kohenot, I ordain priestesses. Um, let me talk a little bit about uh, sort of traditional rabbinic education. So yeah, yeah, please. Some context. 
what I do during the year, or a lot of the year, is I uh, work at the Academy for Jewish Religion, which is a rabbinical school, um, which has some of the similar curriculum to rabbinical schools around the country. Uh, we teach uh, sacred text, Jewish history, pastoral skills, uh, Jewish prayer and music, things like that. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that can be anywhere from a three-year to a, you know, a 10-year project, depending on how quickly somebody mm. is the material. Um, and those folks go out to serve the Jewish community in all different kinds of ways. Uh, and then one of the reasons that we founded Kohenet uh, was in order to uh, create specialists um, in Jewish women's history and in the material around the divine feminine, uh, and also in creative ritual, uh, who would go out and provide those uh, sort of those healing and uh, teaching uh, services to the Jewish community, and so mm -hmm. they uh, they work in their own ways, uh, you know, within the community and also in interfaith communities. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's wonderful. Um, well, let's back up and go. You know, how did you grow up in the Jewish community? Was that your spiritual and religious background? I did grow up in the Jewish community, although uh, my parents were largely secular. Um, okay. They gave me a Jewish education more because they thought Jewish kids should have that than because they were, you know, really committed to, uh, you know, to living uh, in a Jewish way. Uh, my parents were really nature people. You know, mm -hmm. they loved gardening. That was their passion. Uh, so in many ways, that's made its way back into my spirituality. Mm. Uh, but I was fortunate in that uh, they thought I should have a sense of identity. And so they sent me to Sunday school and they sent me to Hebrew school. And in fact, those things stuck. I became really excited about uh, Jewish learning, Jewish text study, uh, Jewish ritual. Uh, and those things uh, stayed with me and became part of my life. Mm -hmm. Did you grow up in New York? Is that where your family's from? I did grow up in New York State. I didn't grow up in New York City. I grew up in Dutchess County, uh, okay. surrounded by trees and streams. And uh, it was, uh, I think, a very a formational experience for me uh, to grow up in nature. Yeah. Was there a big Jewish community in that area? Not really. I was one okay. of a couple of Jewish kids in my school. Uh, I think that probably had an impact on me because mm. in some ways, when you're a minority like that, you have to be a spokesperson. Mm. Uh, and, you know, that probably gave me m more thoughtfulness about my Jewish identity than I might have had if I'd been in an area where there were lots of Jewish kids. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, what made you want to become a rabbi? And was that your first vocational calling or was it something you did later in life? It was a little bit of a spiral. Uh, when I was a child, I wanted to be a rabbi. Um, mm -hmm. It was quite clear to me. I remember having a conversation with a neighbor in which I expressed probably at the age of eight uh, that I was going to be a rabbi. Um, and at some point in my life, I moved away from that. Uh, I got excited about uh, research psychology. I got excited about literature. You know, there were a couple of other things I was interested in. And I actually went to graduate school uh, after an undergrad experience uh, at Brandeis University. I went to graduate school in social psychology. That was what I thought I was going to do. Mm. And it became quite clear over a couple of years uh, in that program that that wasn't what I wanted to do, that really uh, my calling was to uh, a spiritual calling and that I, I wanted to, to serve uh, the Jewish community in a ritual way. Uh, so I finished my degree and I went on to rabbinical school. Mm. Very nice. Did you know 
I mean, growing up, were you a part of a, uh, like the brand of, or the denomination or type, I guess in Christianity, we call them denominations, different types of Christianity or traditions. Um, was the one you were involved in like conservative, reformed or orthodox or? Yeah, I grew up attached to a reform temple. That was where okay. I my education and where I had my bat mitzvah. Uh, I had a wonderful, kind, loving rabbi who I'm sure was one of, you know, was one of the reasons that I was interested in that path. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he was a terrific uh, role model for someone who was living a, a conscious and, you know, and kind and devoted life. Mm. Uh, and it was also a community where uh, creativity was prized as a, as a, you know, as a religious value. Mm. Being uh, spontaneously creative was considered to be a good thing. Uh, and I'm, and that stayed with me too. Um, although I had, a, when I, I was ordained as a rabbi, I was actually ordained in the conservative movement. That was the movement I had picked in my college years. Mm-hmm. I was interested in the um, depth of observance uh, and the depth of text study that that movement offered. Mm-hmm. I was I, at that time traditionally observant of the Sabbath and, you know, and, and other, and I prayed three times a day. Uh, and the conservative movement was the right home for my practice at that time. Uh, when I got to rabbinical school, interestingly, I became radicalized because we were studying a lot of texts uh, that related to women uh, in ways that were disturbing. And by and large, we were not talking about that aspect of the text. Mm. And that began to, to shift my uh, kind of, you know, move the needle on my uh, ways of relating to my, my home tradition, mm-hmm. I felt a need to do something about that to right. create ways of having that conversation. Right. So were you, you were aware women could be rabbis. Like this wasn't a shocking thing. I mean, Judaism, I don't know how long, I don't, maybe you could educate me on this, how long women have been able to be rabbis. It's great that you ask this because this is is an important piece of my consciousness. Mm. Um, When I was a small child, actually, women couldn't be rabbis, although I wasn't really very conscious of that. But by the time I was a teenager, um, liberal Jewish movements were already beginning to ordain women. I think the the first... um, Sally Prezan was the first woman to be ordained. I think she was ordained in... 1983, although actually that might be the ordination date of the first conservative woman rabbi, I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, it was during my childhood that, you know, that that revolution happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was something that women could do, although there certainly were still, you know, there was a sense of reticence yeah. about that, you know, what, what exactly was the role of uh, women in a Jewish tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that was a question growing up. You know, I remember seeing a girl but have her bat mitzvah wearing a prayer shawl, and it was the first time I had seen, you know, a female person wear a prayer shawl. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I knew that women could be rabbis, uh, and I was very excited to go and be, not exactly a pioneer, because there had already been a number of women rabbis, but, you know, certainly someone in the first generations of that mm-hmm. revolution. Mm-hmm. What became a kind of... Uh, bothersome for me and in a way that turned out to be creative uh, and to spark a lot of uh, generative, you know, generative thought for me 
was when I began studying the ancient world and discovered that women had actually been spiritual leaders for thousands of years. Yes. The idea that, you know, women suddenly could become spiritual leaders in 1983 (laughs) began to really bother me as a narrative. Actually not the case. Right, right. Women were spiritual leaders and then often they were kicked out of that role. Right. And now, you know, we're starting to reframe that in new ways, which is great. But, you know, that's kind of an erasure of history to say, oh, you know, we started ordaining women in the 20th 20th century. Um, 100%, right. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's great. Yeah, my tradition, too, uh, in the Episcopal Church, women have only been ordained in the Episcopal Church since I I think it's the 70s. So kind of similar. But the Christian tradition is long been ordaining women and women being in roles of leadership and spirituality for sure. And other churches have been ordaining women since the 1800s. So it's, it's nothing new, but there's still a lot of churches that aren't as I, you know, obviously the, uh, the Orthodox, Orthodox Jewish tradition does not ordain women. Correct. Actually, um, there is significant ferments about that right now. Ooh. Um, okay. I don't have a pulse on that. So no. yeah. No, Orthodox Judaism really is a conglomeration of a variety of branches of Judaism, right? There's different sects okay. of Judaism. Sure. There's, um, you know, there's modern Orthodox people. There are people who would consider themselves ultra-Orthodox, right? There's a variety of different kinds of Orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. And the left wing of Orthodoxy um, recently saw the phenomenon of Yeshivat Maharat, which is a seminary to ordain Orthodox women. Mm. Um, who are observant of Orthodox law. They don't, for example, lead services, uh, but they are serving in Jewish communities as teachers and spiritual leaders. Um, And recently, um, you know, the Union of Orthodox Congregations came out and said, you know, you you know, we say that you can't hire these women. Uh, And the many congregations said, well, we just did. And that's too bad. So there's, you know, there's really a a lot of, uh, ferment a lot of uh, interesting uh, dialogue now about Orthodox women leaders. Wow, that's great. Do you know um, a professor of mine from Vanderbilt, Amy Jill Levine? She's a Orthodox Jewish woman. Mm-hmm. I think I may have heard her name. I don't know her personally, I don't think. Okay, yeah. She teaches New Testament, so it's, it's fabulous getting her take on uh, the Christian Testament. It was, I, I mean, it was amazing. It was probably the one of the neatest, most enlightening educational experiences I've had. And she's a little pistol. So it was, it was pretty cool. But um, anyways. um, Okay. So say more about your uh, called called ordination and perhaps in the more spiritual, like what, what has that been like for you? What is, have you, you know, I guess experienced that feeling of like I've got I've got to do this. I need to be a teacher and a spiritual leader. Yeah. So this is the story that I tell when people ask why I decided to become ordained. When I was in graduate school, um, I was studying to be a social psychologist. I was not particularly happy um, in my studies. I was happy uh, in the Jewish community. I was living in Middletown, New York. Um, I was working with. Um, a variety of Jewish communities, including uh, leading uh, new moon groups for women and creating new rituals. I was really happy doing that. Mm-hmm. And one night 
around graduation time, sometime in May, um, on the academic calendar, uh, I went to sleep and I had a dream. And in the dream, I was at a cocktail party and everyone at the cocktail party was waiting for the guest of honor. And it turned out that the guest of honor at the cocktail party was God. Mm-hmm. And so I, with everyone else in the place, you know, uh, crowded around the door to see, you know, what does God look like? So God arrives at the cocktail party and God is an immense glowing pregnant woman. Mm. And I am completely wowed and excited by this. And I jostle to get a seat next to God at the bar. (laughs) And I begin chattering about my ideas about God and the divine feminine and gender. And and God thinks this is all very funny. (sighs) And at some point, uh, God summons, you know, some angelic assistant from the back room uh, who presents me with a wrought iron lantern. Mm. an unlit wrought iron lantern Mm -hmm. and then I wake up Mm. and at the time this was in my first marriage at the time I I shook my then husband and said God gave me a lantern and I don't know what I'm supposed to do (laughs) (laughs) and he said boy are you in trouble But in fact, I, I wasn't in trouble. Uh, that day, I called, uh, I called uh, the Jewish Theological Seminary, and I got an application to rabbinical school. Wow. That was, it, it was clear to me that the dream was saying, you know, you need to, you need to pursue your calling as a spiritual leader. Mm. And so that day, I got an application, and I got started. That's great. What I didn't know was that that was only part of my calling. You know, that the the full thing was going to be revealed to me later. Sure. Oh. And is the other part of the calling, the more, like you said, you know, becoming radicalized and moving into more feminist streams of consciousness? Yeah. Um, it, it was already clear to me. I mean, you can see from the dream in which God is a woman, you know, that that was a sure. part of what I wanted to do, you know, in sure. the Jewish world. But... I think it wasn't clear to me that I was called to work with new models of spiritual leadership that came from the history and practice of women. Mm. Uh, and I actually had another dream uh, not too long ago, three or four years ago, uh, in which I was part of a procession of women uh, walking up a mountain and they were all holding lanterns. Mm. And it felt like, you know, the bracket of the dream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know the that the lantern had now multiplied uh and that that was the right thing you know that was the intention was for the the gift to be shared mm-hmm. oh it's beautiful i love that um so in your work you know you said you do a lot of ritual and uh, spiritual type creative things using so many different resources like the earth and nature are these you know in my question of where do you encounter the divine the most um where is that where do you engage most with that sense of holy it's so hard for me to say most because there are really multiple avenues for me 
Yeah, we'll share those, please. Yeah, certainly I experience the divine in nature. Um, I make a point of going out into Central Park every day to be on the earth and walk in the trees. And that's a very important part of my religious life is approaching the natural world as a, as a holy and life-giving space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also find the divine in story. You know, I'm a writer, um, you know, I've written books and poems and I, and I'm a reader, uh, and I love to, you know, research, um, legends and myths and, you know, ancient ways of making meaning and, and contemporary ways of making meaning. So I also find the divine in, in creativity and in sacred story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would also say that I find the divine in community, um, mm-hmm part of you know my jewish life you know means being part of jewish community and praying together and making meaning together singing together and those are also places where i'm able to access you know my sense of connection to the presence Mm -hmm. what would you say your favorite thing about being a rabbi is Mm -hmm. is there any one thing you just love doing Hmm. I really love teaching. I have mm. to say, yeah. I really love teaching uh, because I get to watch my students have insights that are transformative. Yeah, you know, there's it's really exciting to be able to bring someone, you know, a story or a piece of text or an arche- a piece of archaeology you know, that just blows their mind. You know, and <laughs> life different. You know, it's that's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to pick a favorite because there are other things I also love doing, but that's right. probably probably my favorite. Yeah. Any the other like pastoral care type stuff you enjoy? You I know, do much of that? pastoral care, I do some of it. And really the goal is to be completely present for the person mm-hmm. who you're uh, so I'm less focused on whether or not I'm, I'm having a good time. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's more about, you know, trying to respond to needs in the moment. I do love leading small groups uh, that are doing a meditation or dream work mm-hmm. or guided visualization together. Uh, yeah. That's really amazing. And um, I think it's very connected to, you know, how our ancestors came to know the divine uh, mm-hmm. is you know, using their own imaginative faculties uh, so that's something I love a lot. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, I can't remember what you said at the beginning. Are you mostly teaching? Are you affiliated with the temple where you're doing pastoral type work? or I am a member of a temple. Okay. I, uh, my rabbinate is really teaching at the, se- the seminary, uh, at the Academy okay. of Religion, and uh, at the Kohanet Hebrew Priestess Institute, which is not a regular prayer community, although we do lots of prayer together you know, when we're on retreat. Um, so that's really the community where I do pastoral care, you know, where people come to me to, to ask questions or, or to talk. Um, but I get, this is actually a great privilege for a rabbi. I get to sit in the pew on, on Shabbat. Yeah, yeah. I get to, uh, you know, just be part of the prayer community. I am the translator of the, the prayer book of my current prayer community, community which is the uh, uh, Congregation Romamu um, on the Upper West Side, uh, they invited me to translate uh, their prayer book. Uh, and that was a really exciting project that I feel thrilled about. Mm. And, I, and I got to infuse that with 
you know, my love of nature and my love of Jewish mystical practice and mm-hmm. pretty amazing. Mm. That sounds like a really rich, rich opportunity. Yeah. Um, what, what's important for you about being a woman doing this work? The first thing I want to say about that is that for me, there's really this mystery of trying to discover, you know, my ancestors who were women doing this work. Mm-hmm. Because their lives and practices and ideas are so much less recorded, you know, than the lives of, you know, my, you know, male ancestors and predecessors, uh, that it's really a kind of detective novel, you know, you, you, you are looking for traces of things and, you know, little snippets of text and, you know, this person kept a diary, you know, and, you know, to, to learn about, you know, how, you know, how am I walking in the, in the footsteps of my female ancestries? So that's a big piece of it for me is just wanting to know more about them and how I can present them, uh, you know, and their benevolent and, devoted influence, um, you know, on my community. Uh, the other thing I think is important about, you know, being a woman doing spiritual work at this time is that it is liberatory for women to be able to be spiritual leaders is, is a necessary act of liberation. Yeah. And it is also a gift to the community because it's a new source of resource and, and creativity. Um, it's exciting partly because it's new or it feels new. Uh, and, uh, it's been, uh, a source of, you know, new, uh, ideas and ways of doing and being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we need that right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. What would you say is saving your life right now? Mm-hmm. Well, two things. One, water is saving my life right now. <laughs> being in the ocean for me is just a, or or in a lake or a river is, or even a swimming pool is feeling the primordial deep, you know, which for me is a, a, an important image of the divine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, because water teaches us about how we're connected to everything. Yeah. Right. We don't see that in the air, but we see it in the water. Mm -hmm. You know, know, we, we feel that there's a substance that is holding everything. Uh, so that's saving my life right now. The other thing is that students are saving my life right now. Mm. My, you know, watching, you know, my students and, you know, and now colleagues, you know, go out and change the world in a variety of ways, you know, by doing healing work and by doing social justice work, you know, and by being teachers and by creating amazing rituals, uh, and by creating sustainable communities that, you know, eat and do their other work without harming the earth. That is what's making me feel that there's hope and there's uh, beauty and inspiration out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to touch on on this part is where do you, what do you want for your career? Do you have any goals in terms of, you know, where your work's headed or what you I don't know, perhaps your call is leading you to ultimately. I feel really lucky that I feel that I, you know, part of my job right now is to consolidate the work that I've done. 
you know, I've helped found this institute that's very important to me. You know, I've helped create, you know, a, a, a priestess curriculum. Uh, and I'm watching people live into that. Um, I've helped create a seminary curriculum, you know, uh, educating rabbis and cantors. And, you know, I'm watching them live into that. So I feel like I'm, I'm not ready to retire, but I feel really <laughs> fortunate in that I've done some of the things I wanted to do. Yeah. I feel excited about the books I've written. You know, I've written a book called The Hebrew Priestess, which is, uh, you know, a history of Jewish women doing spiritual work in a priestessing mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like the, the ancient roots of that. Uh, and I've written on the Jewish calendar and a book called the Jewish book of days. And I've written midrash about biblical women called, uh, called sisters at Sinai. And, you know, all of those things are really precious to me. Mm-hmm. And I guess where I see things going now, I'm, I'm currently embarked on a project um, to translate and provide a new commentary and new practices for an ancient Jewish book called Sefer Yetzirah, which means the book of the book of creation, uh, which is, a book that describes the dynamics of the cosmos, mm. more or less. So I guess I see partly uh, a place that I'm going is looking for ways that we can incorporate into our spiritual practice uh, ways of being that help us be grounded and peaceful and humble uh, in our relationship to ourselves and the earth. Mm-hmm. That feels really important to me and like mm-hmm. something I want to be teaching about in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wonderful stuff. And how, you know, speaking of your, your writing, that's how I found you. Where was I at? What website do you write for? The Jewish Women? Uh, I've written for lots of websites. Oh, let me I bet you have. <laughs> uh, could be the Jewish Women's Archive, maybe. Um, uh, I also write for feminismandreligion.com. And I've written for Ritual Well. Yeah. I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, throw out some more of those. Where can people find your work? Where can I? Um, people can find my work um, at the Kohenet website, uh, mm-hmm. which is uh, com or .org. Uh, people can go to rabbijillhammer.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, some of the websites I just mentioned um, and, you know, I've done uh, other kinds of writing, sort of one-offs at different places. MyJewishLearning.com has some of my writing. So, uh, and, uh, and there are books, and they're available. Uh, I have a recent book of poetry called The Book of Earth and Other Mysteries, mm-hmm. uh, which is available also. Yeah, I, I need to pick up some of these. These sound fantastic, mm-hmm. and so should everyone else. Do you have any social media platforms you like to throw out there, too? Well, Kohenet has a Facebook page. Okay. Uh, I am just old enough to be a member of the past generation, so I don't do Twitter, at least not. <laughs> uh, but Facebook is a good place to reach me and to reach Kohenet. Okay, awesome. And to reach AJR, for that matter. Okay. Thanks for joining us this week, y'all. And thank you again to Rabbi Hammer for sharing your story with us. It's so refreshing and beautiful to see the way the holy works in our lives and allows us to flourish as our authentic selves in so many amazing ways. 
Join Rabbi Hammer and I next week as we explore the Jewish notion of the divine feminine. And as always, follow us on all of the social media platforms and rate and review and subscribe to Theosophia on iTunes. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Theosophia. Shout out to our amazing Patreon members so far. We appreciate your support so much in assisting in the production of this Labor of Love podcast. We will see y'all next week. Peace. Peace.